Hello and welcome. This is the Carbon Watchdog podcast. Um, the climate is changing and so must we to adapt to the new normal and of course to do what we can to halt global warming. On today's podcast, I'm talking to Robin Nicholson, who's an architect at Cullinan Studios, a cooperative architecture practice which has been designing innovative low energy buildings for 65 years, some of which are now listed, using design strategies such as passive solar as early as 1970. One of his first projects was, to, was building the Olivetti Training Centre in Hazelmere, and as he says since then, every building is a story in its own right. He was a key force in the creation of EDGE, a roundtable that encourages professional institutions to work together to greater effect on public policy, setting standards like the Cross-Institutional Climate Action Plan for the construction industry and the Collaboration for Change report. So please support Carbon Watchdog on Patreon via the link on your website, on, our, on the Carbon Watchdog website, and enjoy the discussion. I'm Adam Hardy, and my guest today, Robin, is here with me now. Uh, well, over Zoom. Hello, Robin. Hi. You have massive experience in greening the built environment, but the story that you told me, which really piqued my interest and made me think that it would make good podcast material, was the work on zero carbon schools you did for the Department of Education in 2010, when Ed Balls was Education Secretary and Labour were in government in the UK. Ed Balls essentially asked you to report on what they would have to roll out so that all new schools would be zero carbon by 2016. The report is out there on the internet and there's a link on the Carbon Watchdog website. But Labour were ousted in 2010 and Michael Gove, the incoming Tory Education Secretary, threw out the plans. Ten years later, now that the Conservative government is starting to realise they need things like this, do you think it's time to bring it back? Have you? There's kind of two dimensions to this. One is we could go back and discuss uh, the zero carbon schools report, uh, but uh, the question you asked specifically is what should happen now, and uh, and the context within which we in the edge are promoting the idea of uh, transforming every school to net zero uh, and every new school to be net zero is that. There is a sort of general feeling that there needs to be a, a the economic recovery needs to be a green recovery, but most organisations are championing uh, green domestic uh, domestic retrofit as the way forward. The problem about domestic retrofit is that we don't have the skills, and people live in all the homes, and the last thing they want uh, is to be disrupted, uh, particularly after COVID and everything else. Uh, but right. That's that's a problem, but the bigger problem is that we as an industry don't know how to design, and we certainly don't know how to build uh, zero carbon retrofit zero carbon homes. So our idea in the edge was that we would, uh, if if we concentrated on the schools, not only would that guarantee a spread of um, uh, of uh, of acquisition of skills across the country. It would not. It would be uh, at a local scale, and and all the available knowledge could be poured into this program, and everybody would learn from it. Both the designers, the builders, the users, because they're important. Uh, and and we could then uh, move on 
uh, it wouldn't take very long, say five years to do, uh, it, it, we could then move on to uh, doing the domestic retrofit, which is a much bigger and much more problem. The point that is that, that's very relevant today is the, uh, the fact that the Treasury have decided to take back 95% of the funding that they've made available for the Green Homes grants, because only 5% or so of the grant money had been taken up. And that was literally because the tradespeople and the, the engineers and the people who were meant to go and do the work were just not qualified, were just were not able to... But also, to... The, the, there was a problem, there was a, a lack of uh, skilled... Uh, in order to deliver this program, you had to be signed up as a contractor to Trustmark. And there's only so many uh, registered uh, Trustmark contractors, and they're all busy as hell. Uh, up and down the country so and they're tiddly little projects you know a, a sort of under 10,000 project is uh, might be a lot of money for a householder but for a, a contractor is small beer uh, so it's uh, it, there was little financial attraction and this was a kind of typical piece of uh, made up on the hoof government policy uh, oh. which instantly uh, the treasury realized was a uh, was it would be a disaster uh, when it was announced, but they they couldn't get out of it because as a minister had announced that this is what was going to this was going to be the answer. Well, it clearly isn't the answer. It was a, another badly thought out program, which is a pity because uh, yes. money was there. And I, um, meanwhile, the Department of Education has done a condition survey of uh, nearly every school in the country. Uh, it knows what needs to happen uh, to them all, and has, uh, but is you know can't even get the funding for twenty pilot schools uh, to retrofit them, which is pathetic. Uh, so, uh, we, what know, are you talking about? How much would they actually need? Presumably not one and a uh, half I, billion. I, I, I don't know is the answer to that, but it's it's uh, you know small beer. Uh, they they no, it's not small beer. It, it's it it will vary enormously. Uh, uh, partly because there's a huge backlog of maintenance in these schools. And I think there the, the needs to be, I mean, we, we would like there to be some, some prototype um, retrofits uh, whereby you, because there are different kinds of system schools. There's, you know, there's the ones that was developed in Nottinghamshire. There's the one that was uh, invented in the, in, the, in the south of England. Uh, so there are different system schools, and then there are the one-off schools. Uh, but there are also some schools that are really, I mean, Worcestershire's got some brilliant uh, new uh, near to, near zero schools. Uh, so- You it, mean just the buildings? Yeah. I mean- Presumably every school has got more than one building anyway. So, well, not every school, but most. Oh yeah, yeah. But there was some, I mean, the, the, during the uh, noughties, there were a lot of schools got commissioned and they a lot of them were uh, not zero, but they were near zero. Uh, they did all the right things. I can think of a, a secondary school in, it was, this was in part of the program of building schools for the future, which had some disasters as well as some uh, great uh, schools. There was one in- uh, Ah, building schools for the future was- it was a government program to replace uh, every secondary school in the country, which was slightly bonkers as a as a plan. Uh, but there was, there was you know, <laughs> it sounds amazing. Every school, <laughs> good grief! Yeah, rebuild uh, them or relocate. Or 
I well, a part of the problem was that, of course, they were on the existing sites. Uh, so you had, to, and the schools couldn't stop working. So the, the, one of the logistical issues was how to, where to put the school, the new school, and then decamp the school, the existing school into it, and then uh, make good the, the, the site of the old school. Well, of course, the school, existing schools were built on the best part of the site for a school. So, right. so there is a kind of, there was a fundamental issue there, but that aside, there were some real successes, and I'm afraid I can't remember the name, but there's a, uh, there was one in, uh, I think it was Wilkinson Air did a really nice school in Bristol, and there were several good ones in Bristol, uh, big uh, school that did exactly what we had asked them to do in the Zero Come Schools report that I did, uh, as you mentioned, back in 2010. Right. The main the main classroom all faced north, and as a result, some of the classrooms faced south, but they're all heavily protected and shaded, nothing facing east or west. And uh, there was a whole series of other. Is that bad? Sorry. Is that bad if they face north, or does that make it easier? No, that's really good because you don't get any, you don't get any heating. Uh, so the, 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 the most difficult design problem for a secondary school is ventilation uh, because teenagers generate a lot of heat uh, <laughs> and, uh, and actually getting the sufficient airflow uh, right. is really difficult. Well, you add in, you know, a, a west, uh, a fully glazed west facing classroom and you're in real trouble because it's going to overheat. Uh, whatever technology you apply. Whereas if it's facing north, you can open the window if it's hot uh, uh, right. and large. I mean, it's, you know, they need variation, but the, the managing the ventilation and not, I mean, it's like a lot of buildings, uh, us architects have fell in love with glass uh, and it's taken taking a very long time for people to realize how uh, most of our recent buildings are overglazed. And right. uh, indeed, a lot many homes are overglazed because estate agents love to sell uh, big picture windows. Uh, yeah, I bet. Well, they're catastrophic in terms of, uh, depending on which way they're facing and how much protection there is, it's right. really bad. Okay, before you, before you go on, the um, Schools for the Future programme, was that under the Tory government or is it started by... The it was under the Labour government that was cancelled. Uh, I mean, when uh, uh, the Tories got in, they cancelled a whole range of um, uh, really good, I mean, good and not so good programmes. And Building Schools for the Future was well-intentioned. It just needed a radical uh, redesign as a programme. It needed to be less uh, all or nothing. Uh, it needed to understand how to work with the buildings that were already there, right. building new ones. Uh, but it's like uh, they, they scrapped, uh, built, uh, you know, the Code for Sustainable Homes, which was the most brilliant piece of uh, regulation insofar as it set out a staged improvement for the house builders, ramping up the performance of the houses with a set timetable, set performance, which okay. was to zero carbon homes by 2016 as well. So it was, you know, it was, <laughs> that's what we were trying to do. And they put the whole bloody lot in the bin. Uh, as well as, I mean, we had we uh, we as part of our program, uh, yeah. the, the 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 zero carbon schools task force, uh, and the report's still available on online. I mean, it's it's uh, 
there you go. Uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the the oh, no, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, the, you can edit this. <laughs> no, the, the political situation sounds exactly like education. That my mother, who is a a primary school teacher, uh, used to complain about terribly because she said every new government comes in, they get a new education minister of education, and he wants to make his stamp on the world, on or at least on the education system, and changes everything wholesale and just causes everybody untold work. Things that were working just get chucked out. Things that are new and untried get brought in, and the change of government is a disaster for education, it seems. Well, it's partly because we need a, a, a really good civil service. And since Margaret Thatcher's time, uh, we've been stripping out expertise and knowledge out of the civil service and reducing their numbers to the point where it's very difficult for anyone to be able to say with authority, hang on, Minister, we've tried that back in the 20 years ago. Don't go there. Do it this way. Uh, and that knowledge has gone in uh, from the public uh, realm. And it's... Uh, catastrophic actually yeah in every department of government um yeah so no, we, we need to build it back up again and, and this idea that you get rid of you know get rid of regulations it's it's complete nonsense you know the the, the eric pickles idea that, you know uh two out one in in order to get a new regulation you had to get rid of two old ones good grief again what led to catastrophes i'm not saying it led directly but it led to a culture that led to grenfell and the, and the you know appalling yeah the loss of life yeah we have the same situation in the nhs a friend of mine who's a manager in the nhs says that just the management levels of management have just been stripped out causing just complete all the inefficiencies that they've managed to get rid of all just creep back in yeah. and you it's just totally retrograde step well i don't know what we're going to do about it but the, the what I, I think we are yeah. in discussing you know with even with discussions in the treasury that this would be a relatively low cost uh way of upskilling uh an industry that after all is at least nine percent of the gdp uh the construction industry yeah major industry that's unable to articulate its its needs because it's uh, so fragmented, but the, the, it certainly needs radical upgrade of uh, digital design and construction, uh, you know, uh, building passports, a whole gamut of what we know how to do now for zero, uh, but which we're not able to do. And it's, it's an even bigger percentage of the UK CO2 emissions comes from the housing sector. Not quite sure what exactly it is, around 25%. Uh, yes, but it's kind of buildings, they say it's 40, but it depends, in London, it's sometimes put as being 70%. I mean, it, it, it kind of it depends what you include. Uh, yeah. So yeah, 25% is a sort of normal figure for uh, housing, but it's uh, the housing that we're building now uh, should be net zero ready if not actually net zero. And there is the, the right. is sort of happening with the future home standards. General regulations are coming through. But the, uh, the, the you know, the rest uh, kind of, uh, the schools aren't happening yet. Well, I've had um, problems with the, uh, well, not personally, but there are problems with the local Holloway prison site in, in Holloway in North London. And they seem to be, um, 
they seem don't seem to be adhering to any net zero standards that I can make up. They have uh, all sorts of problems in there that that my some associates of mine in the neighborhood forum here have identified. But they're building these very high towers where you can have um, we have social housing, put them in very, very high towers, which are and the higher you go, the more carbon intensive, the more CO2 emissions they produce. Per, per I, I, I stop you there because uh, they're, they're, they've got towers. Yeah, very high towers. We're talking uh, well, not you know, 12 20. stories, uh, 14 stories, maybe. But the biggest, the much the bigger problem is the overshadowing uh, of the public realm and the uh, uh, single aspect apartments. Uh, oh, I'm teaching a grandmother to suck eggs here. Sorry about that. I didn't realize that you were in the know about this one. Oh, no, this is all oh, on one of the one of the community groups. <laughs> this public knowledge amongst architects. Uh, and uh, the, the, the problem is that it's potentially a wonderful scheme that was designed for 900 homes and they're trying to put, you know, 1200 homes on the site. Uh, whose decision was that, nobody will say. It's all a bit too secretive. And we've been asking uh, questions about performance for a year now without any answers. Right. And uh, there is a, a, well, I think there's even another, there's a community consultation meeting this evening, which I'm not going to be at. But they, there's, um, there is quite a lot of expertise that's building up, uh, but they've largely brought it on themselves by uh, just uh, not discussing what they were thinking of uh, and kept saying whenever we asked about uh, uh, sun path diagrams, they'd say, oh, we're going to do that much later. Well, there isn't an architect worth his name who hasn't done them on about day one. Because <laughs> oh, I see. A requirement. So they existed, but the, the, the community, the people in charge of the consultation process would not let on and the architects aren't allowed out. Uh, to talk about the scheme uh so uh that suggests somebody's trying to hide something uh that i have to say they have made they have made some changes because there were some closed courtyards which we were very critical of in terms of overshadowing right and they've got rid of them so the scheme is you know getting better but there's all kinds of sub rows uh but the main issues are the same in every more or less every housing scheme in the world, which is overheating, overshadowing, uh, and single aspect flats. Yeah, that's the it's the main th the main thing that my friend was going on about was the uh, single aspect, which I think it means the windows are only the windows of any of the apartments are only facing in one direction. Is that that's right? That's right. Yes. Yeah, and then he was saying, well, they've got to be on both sides so you can get the breeze going through when it gets too hot. Through ventilation, and particularly now in COVID, after COVID, it's even more important that you get through through ventilation. And it, you know, it right. have, you know, deck access became very unpopular, but it is now the way of getting through ventilation is you have, you know, a gallery access, because it's quite expensive otherwise to have so many lifts and staircases, which uh, you need if you're going to have, you know, groups, blocks, uh, with right. uh, all the apartments having more than one uh one uh, view uh, one um aspect but it's it's uh i mean oh, it's, I it's, it's we know what the you know technically it's all sort of there uh, uh but it's it's uh they won't discuss it ah yeah okay i can uh i can imagine they that's got a bit of a digression anyhow isn't it but money it's like the same yeah. thing which is we 
architects for you know and it's builders everybody wants to they got to build a building they want to make each elevation the same yeah because uh, sure. obviously it's cheaper and easier to build but the point is the south the performance of a, uh, an elevation facing south is completely different to the performance of elevation facing north uh and similarly uh facing east or west and uh, they now that we are doing having to do you know operational whole life carbon uh calculations this is all coming out because <laughs> you, you yeah. know, we know exactly what's required but there are still plans being built out with uh which are going to overheat like most homes in most new homes in london what um you know what interested me you're talking about whole life carbon whole life carbon um carbon accounting I'm not sure yeah. what was the term you used yeah the one of the things that always annoys me is that um you know i don't want to criticize architects or whoever it is but I see these brick buildings getting torn down and totally replaced. And I just think there is so much carbon invested in those in those old buildings and it's just being thrown away. And uh, so a whole load more emissions are being created to put up something else rather than adapting what's there already. So no, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Uh, the, 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 but this is only it's taken the climate emergency to get people to realize it because the the driver for all this building in our cities rebuilding in our cities that is tearing down existing buildings is land value so right. if, if somebody looks at a building and thinks blimey do you know what i could get double that amount on the site uh they pay whatever it needs uh, and uh tear down the building and uh, put up a new one double the size and and by doing that, the value of the land doubles or more. Uh, so, and, and right. then the land around it doubles. So they all have to think, oh, blimey, I have to realize the value of my site. So it's a kind of, it's, it's a cumulative impact. And uh, I have absolutely no doubt that you should not be allowed to pull down a building uh, of uh, over a certain size. I mean, you know, anything over, say, four stories. Uh, uh, in a city or town unless you can demonstrate a whole life carbon benefit period just shouldn't be allowed to pull it down because there is not enough no. material in the world to build what we need to build in sub-saharan africa and india and or yeah. china uh, and we in the western europe have to stop tearing buildings down and make the ones we've got work much better does the um does the carbon accounting also include all of the, uh, the the building phase. I mean, not just the materials, but everything that's that's happening. Yeah. Like, okay, not exactly concrete. So concrete will be part of the materials. Okay. So what about um, if you well, have concrete? Huge... Con concrete's a big issue, which is, you know, yeah. by uh, certainly by 2050 and probably a lot earlier, there will be no cement. So uh, concrete is uh, the, it just it won't. It, you can't make cement without uh, generating unreasonable quantities of carbon dioxide right yeah. and that is that is not because of the energy put in is it that is because of the chemical reaction, reaction that goes yeah. in in the in the materials yeah. that go into making cement you see so people who say that they're you know recycling concrete buildings by crushing them up and turning them into uh, uh, uh you know uh, uh, hardcore 
is has got will have to come to an end because you've got to use if you've got concrete you've got to yeah. use it not crush it up uh, but the, this is this is a, a huge revolution that's right. going to happen, and it's something that, as a country, we kind of know what to do uh, as much as well, if not better, than anyone in Europe. And yeah. it's it's knowledge that we can uh, share with the rest of the world. It's good to hear somebody being positive about Britain. We know <laughs> just as well as people in Europe, if not better. Oh, I've been it, hearing it, a lot it, of people being... try, trying to persuade government to behave better. <laughs> <laughs> good, good point. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so the um, the bit that I was getting that I was wanted to go down a little rabbit hole about was the actual the actual building itself. When you sorry, no, not the the building of the building. So the building of your skyscraper or your or your or your block or your house. When you roll up with a ton of machines, they're all going to be operated by diesel diesel powered diesel internal combustion engines or or driven by diesel generators or or whatever so there's you know a huge amount of noise comes from these comes from these building sites and you know it's just an enormous amount of of energy that they're using to do all this building work yeah is there anybody who has even thought about like jcb for instance thought about an, an a, a totally electric um well crane or um well actually no, a crane is probably a, well, i don't a think there's a manufacturer in western europe that isn't uh and china probably that isn't trying to make electric everything's i mean it's the, the, there won't be diesel you know within five years we, we've already told uh everybody there won't be any new gas boilers from 2025 but that okay you believe that and i believe that but does do the does the business believe that does the industry well, believe not. it of course right not, i mean but the, but it's it, we, fortunately in this country we've got regulations because we hate uh, regulations insofar as we always want to cheat, uh, break them. But actually we've got <laughs> regulations about climate change and thank God we have. Because <coughs> we have to change uh, the way we do things and you know building sites will change. Uh, a bit of a problem about substituting timber because of the the sort of knee-jerk reaction to the Grenfell Tower disaster was to ban combustible materials. Well, that's uh, a bit tricky because uh, we need to build buildings with timber structures. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, they just put one up in Berlin. I was reading. There's a big tower block has gone up. It looks like 20 stories, completely wooden, timber. Yeah, well, timber we, we, we've built. Uh, I've forgotten how big. I mean, there's a. I think the first tall one in London was down in um, uh, Hackney. I mean, there's got two or three uh, CLT buildings uh, in Hackney. And, uh, and that, you know, it's fine. It's a good way of making buildings. But um, but the, when you start to use uh, all of these non, all of these flammable, well, basically timber and other combustible products to build stuff, do you have to douse them in flame retardant chemicals that will then off gas for the next five to 10 years. Shouldn't do. I mean, like the timber is it essentially is, uh, it, depending on how it's used and how it's detailed and everything, by and large, uh, chars and, and doesn't burn. Uh, so that's what you're relying on. But it does require careful detailing. Right. And there's obviously not I mean, very much experience of it either. No. But I mean, there's, you know, we, we, we're going to have to learn very fast to do things differently. 
Uh, and we always used to talk about that, but now uh, it's the rule. And even Boris Johnson, you know, upped the, the reductions of CO2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, that we were going, you know, the reductions in, in emissions. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's a cross-party uh, situation. Uh, there's whatever it is, 75% of local authorities have declared net zero by varying dates between here and between 2030 and 2050. And that's fantastic. Nobody knows how to do it, but it's just <laughs> brilliant. They've made the declarations because the first thing you have to do is to measure yeah. where the bloody energy is going, where, where, where the carbons come, carbon dioxide is coming from and where the energy, what's the energy being used for. Right. And, uh, and what, so concrete's the worst one. Sorry? Concrete is the worst. Is that the worst offender? Am I right there? It's pretty bad, yeah. And, and uh, glass and steel? Got, well, steel's not too bad because you it's sort of largely recycled. Uh, oh, okay. But, but we can... Um, uh, I, I, the, the big challenge is how to uh, design buildings to be Taken to part, taken a bit and reused, and the bits reused uh, if you do need to demolish them. Uh, and there are some good, it was good work being done uh, by a guy called Duncan Baker Brown in uh, Brighton. Um, and he's written a book called The Reuse Atlas. Uh, and they've done, you know, that he, he's built a demonstration building in Brighton made out of entirely recycled materials. Uh, using, uh, you know, uh, uh, former student duvets for insulation, uh, you know, all kinds of re repurposing uh, materials, uh, but actually wow. perfectly reasonable building <laughs> that you end up with. And there are buildings, and he, he has examples of buildings in uh, Paris and uh, in Holland, which, you know, quite big towers that are being taken down uh, and all the bits reused, uh, people making new buildings out of redundant old buildings. So it's this it's, is real circular economy stuff. It sounds, yeah, it sounds but really it's, good. It's it's tiptoeing and it's quite yeah. difficult and probably more expensive. Uh, but the alternative is to make use of the, what you've already got. So who's doing that at the moment? Because I mean, obviously, of course, these things are going to be horrendously expensive to take down a building and recycling it. And, and there's nobody's going to do that unless they're doing it from the goodness of their own heart because they they see the climate crisis as what it is rather than something to be ignored. If it uh, effectively is, is the law, uh, then they will have no option. Right, but it's not the law yet, or at least not in not this country. Yet, no, no. But it's, it will come. Yeah. I mean, it's come, and it, there, you know, there were some quite good examples of uh, I think it was British Land did a, uh, you know, a, a building in the city. Uh, I can't remember what it is, about a 10-storey office block uh, that they thought they could get a few more floors on and extend the floors. And they commissioned a study on the embodied carbon of their existing building and uh, the one that they subsequently built, pulled right. out the building, rebuilt it. And the all in all, they would have been better off uh, adapting the building that in, in carbon terms, they'd been better off and earned the same amount of money uh, if they adapted the existing building. And that, you know, it's documented, it's not, it's not, but there is a sort of fantasy right. that you can build 
up. And if you, you know, once you start going above 10 stories, the, the, the you know, increased, uh, um, you know, foundations, uh, the increased loads from wind, the increased, uh, uh, okay. uh, overheating and everything is just goes up. My favorite, my favorite right. story is, is uh, from an engineer who told me, a timber engineer told me this, that um, a great uh, uh, guy, um, that the, uh, you know, the tallest building in, in uh, uh, the Middle East is El Burj Tower, the very tall uh, one. In and, Qatar uh, or Dubai? Uh, I think it's Dubai, but I can never, yeah. I remember which building it is, which country is which. The, um, for every square meter of floor area, there is a cubic meter of concrete. Most of it underground. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's clearly not a very sensible way of building a building. They might have invent, you know, super new lifts in order to be able to accommodate the, the flexing of the buildings. It flexes usually. But these, the, you know, there's, if you want to do something difficult, then you'll find an engineer to do it. And engineers love designing, you know, solutions to difficult problems. But the difficult problem we've got at the moment is the climate's changing and we've got to use less material uh, and get much more out of it. <laughs> that is, um, they have, I say they, I'm talking about um, the, UE, uh, the UEA or Saudi Arabia. There's, a, there's actually a, a complete zero carbon city that they're building there. Is it they Madstar? designed it. That was Madstar. Madstar. They've designed it. Are they they've designed it? and this, uh, the original plan by Foster's was uh, abandoned quite quickly uh, because it was predicated on a, a automatic uh, shuttle, uh, sort of personal shuttle underground, one floor below uh, ground level that took you from your multi-story car park to your office or your shop or your home. Right. They, the infrastructure cost of that was huge. And then there was the minor problem. I mean, it, you know, I think they, they've made some great, you know, uh, sheltered spaces, sheltered by PVs, uh, bedded in glass and things like that. But if you're right. in a desert, uh, you have to clean every bloody uh, PV, you know, every day. So it's, it's not exactly uh, the most sensible use of building materials. Yeah, those sandstorms coming in are obviously going yeah. to. Uh, I was watching a program, a David Attenborough program last night, and about the Gulf, and most of the nutrients that feed the, the marine ecosystem are from the sandstorms. So you can imagine that solar panels, are, if there's enough there to feed a whole marine ecosystem, then there's certainly enough to make a solar a solar panel dirty enough. They are still building. Um... Uh, I think in Mazdar, and they're building slightly more, you know, uh, not so ridiculously expensive buildings. But it's it's it doesn't matter where you are in the world. We just have to. We knew used to know how to live the best way according to the climate. You were, you know, in 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 the Arctic and Antarctic, you lived in an igloo, and it worked perfectly well. <laughs> uh, in North Africa, in in. Ethiopia, you uh, lived uh, underground to a large extent. Uh, you know, they're all quite in, in Sana and Yemen. You know, you built uh, uh, wind towers everywhere. I mean, it, it, so we know how to 
uh, operate passively around the world. But right. unfortunately, our financial system requires air-conditioned offices wherever you live. Uh, it was just unfortunate that somebody invented uh, air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was when I was in in Lagos in Nigeria in the summer, there it was really hot, and going around in Lagos from office outside into an air conditioned car, back outside again, forty degrees heat, back inside to an air conditioned office, my my it basically caused my brain to start boiling. And I just, I just couldn't handle it. Just one morning was enough, and I had to stop. I, I, so okay, if I'd been we, we, uh, we did a university in uh, one of competitions to do a university in Singapore, in the middle of Singapore, which is on the equator. Uh, hot, uh, humid, hot and humid, and uh, rains a lot. And uh, we'd got the job on a kind of uh, lower energy uh idea which mm -hmm. was of actually not of any great interest at the time but is is now and uh we were able to use what we'd learned in the states which is the traditional uh breezeway which if you, if you were in a um you know about breezeways no uh if you if you live in a in a sort of uh an area with low relative with sun and relatively low uh, uh air movement because uh, the critical thing is if you're hot and humid is to you just need a little bit of air ah, okay. skin uh to for you to feel comfortable right or less sense less uncomfortable and uh what they all did in the old days, which we've used to this new, huge new university, uh, was to introduce breezeways where if you have a, if you have passages through, I mean, usable spaces, but with bits of the building that have no, no external elevation on either side. Right. Uh, as the, the, the elevation facing the sun heats up, it naturally heats uh, uh, the heats the adjacent air, which rises, and pulls the air through the building uh, from the cooler side through your breezeway. It, I mean, it's, it's okay. That's smart. Uh, that's but it's all you know. That's what everybody did in the tropics. Always did, uh, and uh, you know, we of course, air, thanks to air conditioning, uh, we uh, have quietly forgotten about it and. We did, they were quite surprised when we, when they built it and said, oh yeah, they really do work. So no, in Singapore, yeah. nobody sits outside. Uh, you know, you think as a European, you think, oh, that's wonderful landscape, fantastic, it's going to sit in it. And they don't sit outside because it's hot as hell. Right. Got creepy crawlies. Well, <laughs> in our universities, they, they sit uh, outside Inside the air-conditioned, usually inside the building, but outside the air-conditioned envelope, because it is air-conditioned more than we wanted. Uh, completely happy uh, because of the air movement, and they even sit outside in the landscape where we've designed nice places for them to sit. Uh, <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, and it's it just is they love it to bits. I mean, it's, but it's quite unlike anything else in Singapore. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a picture of that and put it on the. Uh, I'll have a little web page pointing to the podcast, and I'll put some pictures up there. I wanted to get one of the um, Olivetti training centre as well. The thing about the Olivetti building is it's not really that's not environmentally 
uh, and you know it has no particular. Well, it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's uh, it was pretty. It's slightly less pretty now uh, because it's making buildings out of fiberglass is not a very clever thing to do. It's uh, it's uh, it's not. I mean, it, it is the building is um, fifty years old. Uh, so yeah. under the circumstances, it's pretty good. But the the problem is the thermal expansion of fiberglass is significant. So if you're trying to make uh, sensible joints, it's very difficult. It's like, you know, it, so it's like lots of metal buildings. They they grow and, uh, daily and it uh, makes, uh, they, and they tick. Uh, you know, the, the buildings tick. Yeah, uh, I can and, imagine that. Um, so that was, I mean, it, yeah, look, it's very much of its period. I mean, it's a kind of classic uh, 70s, <laughs> kind of 70s uh, Italian uh, design, but uh, that was not with, uh, that was with an architect called James Sterling. So it was um, before I joined my uh, Cullinans. Okay, I've just got a couple of points to go back to the schools thing again. Yeah. To, um, there was, you were talking about the, um, well, with Ed Balls and the, and the future schools thing, you're talking about rebuilding, but the, um, the retrofit and the um, changing everything to zero carbon is obviously not going to happen with all of this, with every school that you have to change. I mean, the one where my kids go to school is an old Victorian, massive, great big brick building. So you're not going to rebuild that. So you mentioned earlier, I previously, you mentioned you were talking about a Walton-on-Thames school where they had their, they handed over the um, energy management or power management to the, to the kids in the school. And um, I'm afraid I wasn't able to find anything on the net because I wanted to, I wanted to check it out. And it, it's obviously, uh, there are way too many schools in Walton-on-Thames or there are actually quite a few Walton-on-Thameses or at least Waltons. Have you got- It's called, Ash, it's called Ashley. Ashley School. Ashley Church of England Primary School. Right, okay. Walton on Thames. And it's, uh, it was where the head teacher had been to the Antarctic, had an epiphany, came back, persuaded everyone that he should uh, try and do something. This was a perfectly normal uh, Victorian village school, uh, <laughs> just like a smaller version of the one that your children go to. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, and the. Um, so his idea was uh, to put the children in charge of the electricity, uh, and that if he could get, if they, and, and gave them a meter in the entrance hall so they could monitor it uh, very carefully where the electricity energy was going, and uh, gave them, um, every time they could get the, the emissions below uh, 100 kilowatt hours uh, a day uh, for a week, uh, they got um, 10 quid uh, in the kitty. And each class had a, uh, a monitor, an energy monitor, actually two energy monitors. And at the Friday assembly, which is the only one that he took, they all had to report on their energy performance for the week. And he, they did, one of the things obviously he had to do was to change all the computers to uh, much smaller uh, <laughs> Uh, the right size rather than the oversized uh, computers that they had uh, before. 
Right, okay. And uh, so in the first year, they got the emissions down by 50%. After three years, it was down by 80%. And the, the, this was impressive in itself, but more important was that the kids took it home. So uh, he was amazed to discover after 18 months that uh, uh, the parents, not all right. of course, some of them had set up their own uh, club uh, which was where they competed on 100 kilo, kilowatt hours a week. And if they, if they could get it below that, they, they could uh, join the club. Brilliant. <laughs> so it's, uh, and, and, you know, and this, was, this is why the schools were so important, because not only did the kids get to, you know, they can do their maths, they can do their geography, they can do their history through energy and monitoring it, uh, but they they take it home to their parents and teach them so it's exactly going to learn. So uh, yeah, they get to the parents. I was through their so children. angry about. So we had set up a program uh, with uh, where every whereby every school in the country that wanted a display meter uh, would have one, and yeah. the track was let to um, British Gas, I think it was, to install them. And there were I forget how many. I think. Uh, something like uh, nearly 2,000 were installed before Mr. Gove cancelled the programme, along with everything else. Right. He's not very popular in your house, then. No. Well, I just think we're, we're now talking about, you know, doing zero-carbon schools. Well, that, yeah, that is... After 12 so... years. And, and uh, you know, there's, it's not just us. No. This is a brilliant uh, uh, school uh, pupils organization, a student's organization called Teach the Future. And ages range from, I think the youngest active member is nine and the uh, oldest is, uh, you can't be beyond 26. Uh, they are fantastically articulate. They organize meetings, they write draft bills. Uh, they want every country, every school in the country to be zero carbon and they want uh, it to be uh, integral part of every every subject they're taught in school, which is uh, Brilliant. doing it, uh, demanding this. Uh, mm -hmm. Supported by the Ashton Foundation, which is a kind of low energy uh, charity, uh, who have a program called uh, Zero Twenty Thirty, which is that's the reckon that they're going to get all this. They want all schools converted by twenty thirty. Which is probably a reasonable. Uh, Was that the same name as the school? Is that just a complete coincidence? Uh, I think it's complete coincidence. Yes, uh, I think. Uh, God, now you've got me wondering about. I shall. <laughs> uh, right. uh, I'm pretty certain they're both. Um, the Ashton Foundation. I think I've heard of them as well. Actually, they're 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 a well-known charity. They have an yeah. award, and the school uh, won it. Uh, won the award. Uh, I could uh, check. Have you got? Uh, is that you can't yeah. see what's on my screen? Can you now? Uh, you can only see me. So uh, you can share it. No, no, I don't need to share it. I just need to look up the name of the school. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but it's uh, where are we? Um, exemplars. Uh, so it's Ashley. Oh, sorry. It's Ashley Primary is the, is the school. Ashden is the charity. My so is it Teach the Future? Are they using Ashley Primary as an example of, of, of how it can go? No, I think they're, they're, they're scattered all over the country. I think there are different groups in the four nations. Right. Uh, 
I don't think they're, I, I've no idea where they draw uh, their uh, membership from, but they, uh, one of our edge uh, people is on there. They have a sort of uh, yeah. committee of uh, old elders <laughs> that help them uh, with connections and how to do stuff. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, so we're, you know, we're helping them, supporting them. And we, we ran a workshop on, you know, what was a zero carbon school for them. So, because uh, they needed to know more. Uh, and that was pretty interesting too. <laughs> right. So basically they were all, uh, they were coming to you for advice on, on exactly what they should do. And they're putting, they're pushing forward. Presumably they're pushing the government as well. They'll be on to yeah. the Department yeah, of Education. Because they're, because they're kids, they get really good access to their, uh, to MP, yeah. uh, which is what you want. <laughs> much, right. much more effective than you or I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not quite so easy to ignore because they make good headlines if they say that they've been yeah. ignored by whoever. No, that's really good stuff. Glad we found, glad you, glad you mentioned that because I hadn't, I'd completely missed that in my notes when we were talking. Uh, the, sorry. And but the thing about about it going out spreading out from the schools again, again, uh, via the pupils, that's sort of a parallel to the same thing about the skills being used in, to make schools zero carbon can then be spread out into the local community, into yeah. the local tradespeople and, and um, skilled workers and so on. I mean, that well, is- I don't think we should underestimate how difficult this is gonna be, but if um, we do it, uh, we're stuffed. <laughs> well, I was, I was gonna say, you know, you, you know, the. Um, Trying to get a school to do anything, I've been banging on a, the teachers in the, my kids' school for for ages, and uh, it's only once in every while that they actually pick up and run with something that I suggest. Yeah, because they are just totally overworked and understaffed, of uh, underfunded, under yeah, uh, and if it, you know, and and a lot of the, uh, I mean, there, there were huge in the building schools for the future program. There were a huge number of. Um, uh, uh, low energy systems were put in um uh the worst were the timber <laughs> uh timber boilers uh that were put in wood chip boilers oh the biomass right okay biomass boilers which uh most of which have never been switched on because the caretaker didn't know how to, how to do it uh and they all had backup boilers so you, you have to, if you're going to do one of these things, you mustn't have the backup because then that's what the, that allows the janitor to do what he's always done. Uh, and uh, <laughs> which is human nature. We all want to do what we know how to do. Yeah. Something difficult. I don't want to be down on janitors or, or, or caretakers, but my experience is, and again, I had a, uh, an old mate of mine from college was very, was very radical and didn't want to have anything to do with capitalist society and so to the chagrin of his parents who wanted him to be a journalist or something he took his first class honours in English and became a caretaker and uh, the reason why he said he enjoyed the job so much was because he said he didn't have to do anything <laughs> he could just put his feet up and read all day well I mean I think they're they are usually the salt of the earth they do an incredible amount of stuff for the community as well as uh, their job so i wouldn't underestimate them but they they no, uh, when it comes of. to i mean engineers tend to design over complicated uh, controls uh, so you know there's a there's a wonderful story you know all litany of uh, of clever devices and switches 
uh, that not only can you not find, but you have no clue uh, how, what they mean. Uh, when, you know, even if you're an engineer, you don't know how to uh, operate them. I mean, yeah. I, there's a, I've got a wonderful PowerPoint that a friend made of uh, all about controls. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's a, controls have to be really simple. Uh, sure. Uh, so that any, anyone can operate them. And, uh, and the key test should really be that the children can operate them. Yeah, and um, that's just um, the obvious parallel is it, it's with software on your telephone. You get these apps that you download, and the ones where the user interface design is is spot on will go viral, and everybody will download it, and it'll be mega successful. And the ones that are just clunky and difficult to operate because they didn't do their user interface design properly will just disappear. Well, well, nobody will ever download. Nobody will ever bother using them. Uh, obviously, with with smartphones and apps and software for smartphones, the this turnover cycle of, of new versions coming out is well, you know, every couple of months if you want. Whereas in with buildings and uh, with machinery, I can imagine that the life cycle, that the turnover cycle, is a lot longer than that. And um, yeah, is. difficult problem. And it's it is it, it's. Uh, I mean, there's. You know, there's very well documented uh, uh, research by a, a, a building um, materials scientist, Bill Bordas, uh, in terms of the, talking about the performance gap. Uh, and he um, he's part of the edge. He he's, he's he, I show a picture that, of, of a building in uh, Birmingham uh, that uh, the developer asked. Uh, it's been relatively recently. Um, uh, fitted out for the Department of Energy as was uh, mm -hmm. into and uh, he just went and checked out all the systems and the settings and I forget the exact figures but it went from something like 176 kilowatt hours per square meter per year to 16 uh, and the reason he managed to do that was because the air conditioning was on at the same, the heating was on at the same time as the cooling, uh, 24 seven. Uh, so it was just all, you know, all the year round. So it's uh, the a waste of systems, doesn't matter about the particular examples or numbers, right? Waste of uh, heat and energy for cooling is spectacular um, and uh, needs to stop. Right. So you need to make, it needs to be obvious. I mean, yeah, you know the classic the classic thing to say is, oh yeah, well you make need to make somebody actually feel the pain when they screw it up like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not but quite sure how to do that. Who's responsible? Whose fault is it? Yeah, it's partly over design. You know, it's uh, uh, over design is a big bugbear in terms of. Uh, I was was I hearing uh, yesterday because most boilers are oversized. Uh, the, the you know the heating engineers tend to want to think of a number and then make it a bit bigger. Uh, people are oversizing heat pumps uh, on exactly the same basis, and that's not a very clever thing to do. Oh, <laughs> so uh, I mean the, it's but they're over they're oversizing it because truly going the just, wrong way. They think undersizing it, to be... it. Sorry, undersizing it is is presumably the bigger problem before well it, traditionally they would have said well we do not want to put in the 
something that's not good enough, not big yeah. enough. Yeah. So they oversize it. And uh, but uh, oversized, uh, you know, you want the heat pump to work at maximum efficiency. It's, it's there is a problem with heat pumps about the you know, coefficient of efficiency. Uh, right. So, anyhow. Right. Well, the how are we doing? We, <laughs> I just I just got pinged by my telephone saying that it's, it's hit an hour more or less. So um, the uh, I mean this I. There's so much to talk about. This could go on for ages, but uh, podcast listeners generally only want about an hour before they start having to well, break it down. Listen to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can go in and I can. I actually, I never have actually bothered going in and taking out anything because, generally speaking, when you disrupt the flow, of the disrupt the flow by editing it. Well, you've got to be quite good at editing, and and that's not one of the skills that I've mastered quite yet. So I tend to leave it in place to. I think the people who are going to listen to it are listening to it in a in a situation where they're not under much time pressure anyway, so they don't really get too right. fussed about it. But yeah, um, Robin, it's been great talking to you. And uh, this stuff about schools is really interesting. And, and I love this teach the future idea. And I'm going to go off and find out more about them now. So, okay. um, so what do I do now? Stop recording. Yes, thank you very much. So, well, thank you very much for being on the on the podcast. And uh, yep, you can. My stop name is Adam now. Hardy, and this is the Carbon Watchdog Podcast. All of the website content and uh, the podcasts are free. If you like what Carbon Watchdog is doing, then please head over to Patreon.com using the link on the website and support me there. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll tune into the next one. Bye.